Welcome to Sports and Stogies. Now, introducing your hosts, Cameron Winklewitz and Austin Hayes. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Pull up a chair, pour up a drink, and light that cigar. It's time for Sports and Stogies, Episode 2. Cam. we got a very exciting episode for you guys. But uh, first things first, we want to thank everyone for the, for the support. It was a little overwhelming and unexpected for Episode 1. We had over 100 listeners. Um, great feedback. Um, we're going to fix the volume issue, as you'll hear right now. And, yeah, just thank you guys, seriously. It means the world to us. And we didn't think that the expectation was way lower. So we definitely exceeded expectations by a mile. And with that, um, there's one special guy we got to give a shout-out to. Because he helped promote us on his show. Um, who do you want to give some thanks to there, Cam? Yeah, um, if you guys need any pop culture news or love Power Rangers or WWE or any niche pop culture um, categories, our guy Doug at Burnout Media, he hosts a podcast called Dickin' with Doug, and it is pop culture news. He just recently reformatted, so the first nine episodes are movie reviews. And episode 10 is where the new format begins, which is strictly just pop culture news. And he likes that, and it's pretty good. Definitely recommend Dickin' with Doug on all platforms. They re- He releases every Monday at 3 p.m. So, yeah, go check that out if you're into pop culture news. Yeah, really talented guy. He does, like, an hour show all by himself, which, frankly, I can't imagine doing. Um, so, yeah, give him some love, because he definitely helped us out. Especially even before we started this, as far as like tech advice goes, equipment advice, actually how to get started, uh, he played a big role. So uh, go give him some love. Also with that, all the feedback you guys gave us, we got some fan arguments and comments sent in that we want to address. Um, what's first on the docket right there? Uh, first question that was sent in was from a friend, Dakota Smith, and he says, are the Rams still top five? after that performance on Thursday Night Football? Um, In our power rankings, no. They just slipped out. Yeah, I think they just slipped out of the top five uh, until they show us something. That was just an atrocious game. Now, the Bills are for real. No doubt about that. But the Rams' O-line looks so bad that until they address that, they have no chance of being a top five team. Even with improved quarterback play, um, even with improved defensive play, that O-line looked abysmal. Yeah, um, I just, they need some work there for sure. Uh, another thing is from a friend named Drew Fisher, and he liked to make the argument that the Eagles and the Saints got significantly better. And I don't disagree. I think my words got lost in translation a little bit there. Um, The Saints and Eagles did get better, yes, that's true. Adding A.J. Brown for the Eagles is great. Uh, The Saints wide receiver room, their number one wide receiver last year is now their number four, so that says a lot. And adding Honey Badger obviously makes any defense better. 
However, I still don't believe that those two teams are contenders. Um, I think they're definitely playoff teams, but I don't think they got good enough to where they're Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, I think that's where things got maybe a little bit twisted. Uh, we were trying to make the case last week that the only team in the NFC that did get significantly better was the Rams. Um, Lions, too. Lions improved. They did get better, but as far as being an actual contender, they're still a couple years away. Um, I think the next thing that was brought up was the fact that Derrick Henry is not the best running back in football because he does not catch passes. Uh, yeah, so that's from a buddy named Sam Ryan. He um, said that Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey are the most talented backs in the league because of their receiving capabilities. However, in my opinion, I don't knock that. I agree that they're great dual threat backs. However, if you look at rushing ability, which is what a running back is, there's no one that does it better than Derrick Henry. And like I said, nothing against those guys. They're great dual threat backs. But when I think of a running back, like look at Adrian Peterson, LaDainian Tomlinson, those guys ran the ball. LT, not the best example there. He did catch a lot of passes too, though. But he still was great out of the backfield off handoffs. But, I mean, those guys, they run the football, they run hard, they run good. And I think that Derrick Henry is the best traditional running back in the NFL, I guess I'll say. Yeah, even in today's change game, where running backs are asked to do more, Henry's the most talented pure back since AP. I think we can all agree with that. I believe that's the last fan argument that was brought up. So I think we go straight into some contract news, starting with Quentin Nelson, the left guard of the Colts, becoming the highest-paid guard in NFL history. Deserving? Um, well, let's run down some stats and you tell me. 62 games played. Uh, I believe he's only missed three games on his career. And that season, he's still played 90% of the Colts' snaps. The other two seasons were, or the other three, sorry, 100%, 99%, 97%. So as far as missing games, you know he's going to be in the league. You know he's going to be in there. Uh, 24 total penalties on his career. Not a significant amount. And has only let up four sacks in his whole career, uh, including in 2019 letting up zero, playing over 1,000 snaps doing so. Um, four Pro Bowl appearances and three first-team All-Pros. So you tell me, what do you think, Austin? I think four years, $80 million is an absolute steal for the Colts. I wouldn't call it a steal. That's a lot of money. But I definitely think he's deserving. Um, barring injury, I think we have a historic player right here. Um, if he can keep this up for that whole contract, I think you can make a case for best guard of all time. Uh, definitely in the conversation for sure. Um, next up, Darren Waller, tight end from Vegas, got three years, $51 million. Honestly, kind of a budget, right? Yeah, I like that. Cause, like it's a good sign. Yeah, and, and Cleveland Hooper got more than that, if I'm not wrong. And it's pretty similar to what Njoku got as well. Yeah, pretty similar to what Njoku got. And Darren Waller has been Derek Carr's go-to guy for three, four years. Um, barring what we saw last Monday, of course. He didn't 
quite get the targets I thought he would. I think they're still working out the kinks with Devontae Adams and everything, but I think that's a pretty solid, pretty solid deal. Um, bigger news, in my opinion, the news we were waiting for all, all offseason, is Lamar Jackson going to sign a contract with the Ravens? Well, after declining a $230 million contract, who knows? Yeah, the, the deal they would have given him would have placed him like tied for fourth in terms of biggest quarterback contracts, which I think is pretty fair. I mean, ahead of him are Mahomes and Josh Allen, Russ Wilson, and he'd be tied with Watson and Kyler Murray. I can't imagine giving him much more money than that. How many of those guys are just finishing their rookie contract? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, so that is going to jump us right into the offseason contracts for next year where Jackson, Burrow, and Herbert all up for contracts. Um, there's a lot of people out there that think Burrow and Herbert would be okay with taking pay cuts, but I think Josh Allen shows that you can pay a quarterback and still have a great team. Especially when it comes to you know generational talents like Herbert and even Burrow, who could gladly ask for like keys to the city, and their team should give to him without a question. They might already have keys to the city. I think Burrow definitely does. However, I think my prediction for those two guys are more Mahomes-esque contracts where they're getting ten plus years. I mean, as a team, I guess smart, honestly. And when it comes to adjust annual adjusted value, Mahomes is only like sixth highest. Yeah, it's definitely a budget. Um, now we have one more little fun fact for you guys: the uh, Cowboys versus Bucks was StubHub's number one demand game, doubling the ticket demand of the Rams Bills. What do you think about that, Austin? Yeah, that's kind of expected. Of course, it's Dallas. You know, they always draw, always sell out. I mean, you got Brady and probably his last season coming into town, um, especially to start the year off. Yeah, that's not shocking to me at all. Yeah, I completely agree. And they're the two highest-scoring teams from last season, which is the first time in NFL history that those two teams have met in Week 1. Clearly, that didn't carry over to this year, as Dallas was the only team in Week 1 to not score a touchdown. Unfortunate for you. Yeah, we'll get into that later. Now let's get into the Sports and Stogies injury report. Uh, biggest news, T.J. Watt of the Steelers. Leaving with a potential torn pack, there's still no clear diagnosis on that, but he's definitely going to be out for the time being, um, which is a huge blow. He's reigning DPOY on a team that has to win by defense, as we saw against the Bengals in Week 1. They can't score at all. They have no offense, so losing Watt is very detrimental to this team. Yeah, I agree. I believe the report actually came out today that he did find a doctor that said he did not need surgery. So right now the timeline is six to eight weeks. Um, torn pecs are no joke, though. Like, Especially playing that position. Yes, especially playing that position. Because not only he's a linebacker, he's not just an edge rusher. He does rush the edge more than he does everything else, but... If he plays that linebacker and has to make an athletic play for a pick, it's easily terrible again. Um, we did forget to introduce our cigars, however, so let's jump back to the injury report after we do that. Who are you smoking on, Austin? So right now I have the Oliva Serie V Milano Maduro. Um, this is a great stick. I think it actually won um, Cigar of the Year last year. 
according to Cigar Aficionado. Um, so far, getting some peppery notes, a little bit of earthiness, some espresso, which is very pleasant. Um, maybe some baking spices, just a hint of sweetness. Sounds like a pretty solid stick. Yeah, can't go wrong there. Great draw, um, solid burn so far. Two thumbs up. What do you got? I got a La Serena Mexican Mermaid Robusto. Um, so far, so good. A little heavier on the pepper again. It's uh, like a red pepper, getting a small hint of cocoa, um, some like sweet cedar, as well as some earthy tones coming out of this. So no uh, salami this time around? Not this time, unfortunately. So we're going to jump right back into the injury report with the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott. This hurt to watch. The game was already out of hand. <laughs> it's funny, that was no pun intended. Uh, he hurt his hand. Had surgery the other day. He's out six to eight weeks, although Jerry says maybe four. So in the meantime, Cooper Rush is going to take over behind under center. I'm not expecting a whole lot from Dallas in that time. The offense looked bad enough with Dak, and Cooper Rush is certainly a downgrade. Uh, I completely agree. Uh, I think Jerry Jones's four-week prediction is probably way underestimating. Uh, Dak is, really likes to take his time with his injuries and make sure he's 100% ready to go. That way re-injury doesn't happen. So I think that full six to eight weeks is what we're going to be looking at here. Is it officially time you can call Dak an injury-prone quarterback? This is three years in a row, right? Significant injuries, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of ironic because every time Zeke looks good, Dak gets hurt. And vice versa. They're never on the same page. Yeah. Um, other news, back to Steelers Nation. Uh, Cam Hayward out with an undisclosed back injury. Um, no timeline. I haven't heard if he's ready for week one, week two. Uh, tried digging as much as I could. But uh, Mike Tomlin likes to keep everything under his radar only. So that's Pittsburgh's top two pass rushers out for the time being. Yeah, I think uh, I think they'll suffice with just T.J. Watt out and Hayward on the field because Hayward's going to draw those double teams and other guys are going to get in there and hit the QB. But if they're both out, that defensive front will struggle, I think. Um, but we'll see what happens uh, this week. Also in that game, Bengals' T. Higgins uh, was brought into concussion protocol. Um, he should play Sunday. I haven't heard anything yet. I think today was the first day he could come back to practice if he's able. Um, but that didn't look too bad, so he should be good to go for Sunday. And then another wideout injury, um, which should last a little bit longer. LA's Keenan Allen had a hamstring. He's playing Thursday night, so there's definitely no chance he plays in that game. Hopefully he's good to go for week three. Yeah, unfortunate for him. Um, he's getting to that age where these injuries might plague him and stick with him. I hope not, but I do think they have talented enough receivers without him to still be a successful football team. Uh, but that dude is electric and exciting to watch play, especially with Justin Herbert throwing in the ball. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't think that one hurts as much as some other ones here. Um, heading out to Cleveland, Greedy Williams on the IR with no timeline right now with a hamstring injury. 
um, some of these hamstrings. Yeah, I think in week one, especially starters not playing preseason, they're still kind of warming up, getting back into the swing of things. Um, just hope they're not too significant, you know. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, now we head out to San Francisco with Elijah Mitchell knee injury, and it's suspected to be significant. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm seeing at least two months as of now. But with a knee like that, you never know. That could turn into a whole year. just depends on how he rehabs it. Yeah, hopefully there's nothing serious there. I think that hurts them a lot with how they like to run their offense. I think, especially with Trey Lance, you want to run first quarterback. You want to run that Raven-style offense. You need a good back. Uh, I believe the guy they have backing him up is a rookie. Uh, I think it's still Jeff Wilson, Jr. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, how good is he, really? So it's going to be a weird offense because you're going to have a committee with only one running back, Debo Samuel, and Trey Lance. All pretty much splitting carries. Yeah, and you got two guys that are basically unproven. So, yeah. And then the final injury we have is Seattle Seahawks star safety, Jamal Adams, out with what Pete Carroll said is significant. So, what do you think about that? Yeah, this could be a season ender um, with a quad injury. He made a great tackle on Russ Wilson behind the line and limped off after that. Was carted off, brought to the locker room. Didn't look good. Um, in the grand scheme, Seattle's not going anywhere, so it's not a, as big an injury as like a TJ Watt type. Um, but for their defense, and especially him being a star player, out for the year, not good. No, um, people hate on Jamal Adams a lot because, yeah, he may not be the best coverage safety. But he is probably one of the best blitzing safeties we've ever seen. Um, just his explosiveness to the quarterback and his finesse getting around offensive linemen is just unmatched. Um, yeah, definitely an entertaining guy. I would love to see him still on the Jets defense with Sauce Gardner, though. I think that would be a very exciting duo. Yes, let's hope for the best and quickest recovery there. Um, that concludes our injury report, and with that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be coming right back at you after this. Welcome back to Sports and Stogies, everybody. We are going to get right at you with our Game of the Week recaps for our two selections last week of Bills versus Rams and Chargers versus Raiders. Then we're going to talk about some exciting games that happened uh, Sunday and cover Monday Night Football. What do you think about that, Austin? Sounds like a plan. Crazy opening week. A lot of upsets, a lot of weird games. Um, Starting off the season opener, Thursday night, which was my pick for game of the week, wasn't quite as tight as I expected. What went wrong for the Rams on Thursday night? Uh, What didn't go wrong for the Rams on Thursday night? Um, Offensive line, I think, was the biggest fault. The... uh, Bills did not blitz a single time and put up seven sacks and 15 QB hits. Yeah, how huge was that Von Miller signing in the offseason? Massive. Uh, That did things I didn't think it would do. Um, I think a lot of people just kind of assumed Von Miller got a free ride with Los Angeles because he's on with Aaron Donald. Obviously, he's going to take up a lot of 
the focus, but he proved last night that if you ain't doubling Vaughn, what do you do? And Oliver looked good, although he did get a little banged up, came out. Secondary sat back all night, no problems, allowed no deep balls. And that's without uh, Tredavious White, I believe. It was, yeah. Uh, secondary showed no fault. Um, I mean, you can talk about Cooper Cup, but Cooper Cup's going to do Cooper Cup things no matter who's playing. Um, yeah, other than that, um, just a rough game all around. Uh, Robinson and Stafford, no chemistry there whatsoever. Uh, Robinson played 97% of snaps. He ran routes on 96% of snaps, and he got targeted with a target share of 5.1%. Two catches for 12 yards. Nah, hopefully they address that. Um, the other big takeaway is probably the one everybody wants to know. Is Jalen Ramsey washed, or is Stephon Diggs just that good? Ramsey got torched all night. Badly. And Stephon Diggs let him know it, too. Yeah, he did. Um, man, I, I personally think Stephon Diggs is just that good. Um, I think, yeah, you can say Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson are all great. But, I mean, just from a pure wide receiver standpoint, he's torturing people with his routes, not his speed. And that dude is just insane. Very much reminds me of Antonio Brown in this prime. Also, just the Bills' offense as a whole is a well-oiled machine. I see why Allen's the MVP odds favorite. Um, so many weapons, great line, and great play calling. That was the biggest thing to me. McVay got outcoached all night. That defense got outcoached. Bills got to be the favorite to go all the way now. Oh, I think they 100% are for sure. Um, that team just looked so fun. Um, other than James Cook, of course, his one carry ended with a fumble. Unfortunate for the rookie there. I think he'll definitely have his time to shine, though, because as you can see, Zach Moss is definitely their guy. Devin Singletary, we don't really know how good he is, and I don't think we ever will. I think Zach Moss just steals the thunder with third-down receptions and being third-down back because he's making plays out there. And Devin Singletary didn't really get that chance. But yeah, I think the Bills just all around are the best team in football right now. And this wasn't even the Bills at their best. They turned the ball over, but the defense stepped up. They're without their star cornerback, and they're just getting started. It's only going to go uphill from here. Yeah, the Bills are going to be the team to beat this year, I think. Um, now I know. Week one overreactions are just the best, right? That's what we're here for. But, um, yeah, just the build, they they just looked so good. How about the Rams' backfield situation? Cam Akers was non-existent. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, nobody guessed that Henderson was going to be the guy. And I believe Henderson started out the game. I don't think Cam Akers played until later. So, I guess if Daryl Anderson's a free agent in your fantasy league, go pick him up, because if he's going to be the carry majority there, there's no reason not to pick him up. Um, so, we should mention, final score there was 31-10 Bills, and it, it wasn't even that close, honestly. Um, Stafford, 3-3 three, three picks. Rams just had no cohesion as an offense, 
And defensively, the Bills didn't punt all night. So if not for those turnovers, this game could have been 55 to 10. Uh, very well could have. Um, probably a good thing they didn't punt. Do they have a punter? Do they need a punter? <laughs> Obviously not. Um, my game of the week was Chargers Raiders. Um, even with Derek Carr playing bad, still closer than I expected. Um, yeah, I don't know. The Chargers, just like the Bills, they just look good. Defense without J.C. Jackson played great. Uh, defensive line played great. Again, even without Keenan Allen, still think they're going to be good. And how big was that Khalil Mack signing in the offseason? He had two sacks. Huge. Again, these guys are like, you kind of forget about them. Like, Von Miller was on the Broncos when the Broncos were bad. Uh, Khalil Mack was on the Bears. And there was a point in time where... And the Raiders. Yeah, exactly. And on the Bears, he was the only player on their defense, and they were like a top-ten defense. Uh, The Raiders, how much did it show that they missed Khalil Mack against the Chargers? Yeah, uh, Herbert was pressured on 47% of snaps, not sacked a single time. His pocket presence and their O-line would be able to adjust like that. Um, It's through the roof. Herbert made some throws that nobody else in the league makes, and then Dude's arm talent is just insane. Maybe I'm biased because he was my MVP pick, but man, did he look good against the Raider defense. No, he, he definitely looks good. Um, no bias there for me. Um, Josh Allen, obviously, did Josh Allen things as well, minus some turnovers there. But, um, yeah, I think Herbert's, like you said, his pocket presence is just stellar. Closest thing we've seen to Tom Brady other than Tom Brady yeah, this guy may very well run the league for the next 25 years. And who knows, by that point, Brady might still be playing. Probably will be. With Who knows, his sons will probably be playing football with him at that point. Um, but that's enough about Tom Brady. Uh, the Browns-Panthers game, shockingly close. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Uh, the Browns in there, 0-17 week one drought with uh, now 1-17. So that's great. Kicker looked good. 58-yard game winner, longest in his career. At LSU, his longest was 57 yards. And he even told the coaches, he said, guys, get the ball to the 40 and I'm making it. What an absolute baller. Um, Yeah, our offensive line only let up one pressure the entire game. Panthers defensive line we're talking about here, not the best. But still, to let up one pressure in an NFL game, that's insane. Stefanski actually gave Chubb the ball 22 times, which I'd still like to see more, but that's definitely an improvement. Oh, yeah, he ran the ball very well. Um, I would love to see him get the ball in the red zone or maybe on the goal line, but Kareem Hunt, two touchdowns, can't beat that. Um, Now, the craziest game of the week, in my opinion, was definitely the Steelers Bengals. Classic week one divisional football. Ugly. Burrow had four turnovers in the first half. Three picks on a fumble. Is he is he washed? Did he figure <laughs> him out? Or is this typical week one, maybe some nerves coming off the Super Bowl loss? And not to mention a great Pittsburgh defense still. Uh, great Pittsburgh defense. Um, Joe Burrow's not washed. Um, the second half he lit it up. It's just he hardly played in the offseason. 
He hardly played in training camp. He had that uh, his appendix removed, which kept him out of all preseason games. So chemistry is a little behind. He's 20 pounds lower, and he showed that with his movement on his feet now. How was that seeing? Um, well, he had to move a lot because that Bengals O-line does not look improved at all. Yeah, that was rough. Um, I'm sure Leal Collins was in there and he didn't let up any pressures, but as far as all the other people they signed, who even are they? And again, you know, case in point, it is the Steelers' defensive front, which is top three in the league. But, yeah, so much for those uh, offseason signings, at least in week one. And uh, how important is your long snapper? Uh, evidently, the most important guy on the team. Exactly. Um, and what are the odds that your long snapper gets hurt? Do we know how that happened? I'm not sure. I believe it was a torn bicep, though, or something. Did your long snapper need biceps? Why is he working biceps? <laughs> you would think. Uh, but, yeah, apparently having your third string tight end as your long snapper isn't the way to go. Yeah, how many total missed kicks were in that game between PATs and field goals? Boswell missed one. And McPherson missed him. Well, the extra point got blocked. And then he had the snap bad. The laces were in, not out. Completely shanked it. Sounds like an excuse to me. Yeah, who knows? Maybe he still misses that kick. It definitely looked like he was rushing a little bit with the fear of another block. So that could have been why the spin didn't get fully through. Uh, I watched that kick a couple times, and it definitely was a lot quicker than his other kicks where normally he could take his time. But Minka Fitzpatrick was just a force to be reckoned with that game, even with 75 penalties. didn't matter. He looked good. Um, now we get to our new game of the week picks. What do you got? Um, I'm going to go with the second Monday night game this week. Minnesota in Philadelphia. Should be absolute shootout. Yeah, the Vikings offense looks for real. Love Jefferson, love Thielen. Cook looked great. You never really quite fully trust Kirk Cousins, but he looked good in week one against a pretty solid Packer defense, even though they played zone all game, which is a weird decision. Uh, Philly put up 38 on Detroit. Um, one of the best rushing teams in the league. We'll see how that Minnesota front holds up. Um, I know the crowd's going to be crazy in Philly, as usual, you know, home opener. That's be a great matchup. Um, who's your pick? Um, this might be a little spicy here. Um, my game of the week is the Dolphins versus the Ravens. I think this is the same concept as the Philly versus the Vikings here. It's going to be a shootout. Both defenses didn't look too great. Both offenses looked fun. I mean, they're just launching bombs out there. Two is throwing long touchdowns to Waddle. Tyree Kills getting his share. Uh, Lamar Jackson threw three touchdowns over 20 yards. And he was the best deep ball passer in week one. Which is crazy to hear, right? That was not on my week one bingo card. Yeah, and you know, if it was, they'll bingo now. I wish I could. Um, we got new power rankings going into week two. Yeah, those had to change because we had Rams one and Broncos five, who both fell out for sure. Um, starting with five, we got Tampa moving up. Um, they did everything they were supposed to do against Dallas. Um, again, didn't let them in the end zone. 
Offense looked fine. They ran the ball a lot more than I expected. Leonard Fournette looked fantastic. That line looked great. Of course, Brady's going to do Brady things. Um, Godwin might not play this week. But let's but talk Julio Jones. Resurgence, right? He looked like old school Julio. That's what all the announcers were saying. They said even in camp, he is just happy to be playing football. He's happy to be playing with Tom Brady because who wouldn't be? But yeah, he. I would love to. By all means, he looks fantastic. And Mike Evans, of course, that beautiful catch on Trayvon Diggs. Man's unguardable in the red zone, especially. Especially on Trayvon Diggs. Yeah, yeah, we'll take that. Uh, number four, we're going to Minnesota. Could be the best offense in the league. Uh, that's why I picked Justin Jefferson to win OPOY last week. That went pretty well. He uh, led the league in, in uh, receiving yards. I think he had nine for like 168, two scores. Uh, defense was surprisingly good. Maybe Packers week one, just like last year, we're overreacting there. Um, but as a whole, the new coaching staff, Vikings look fantastic. I agree completely. Number three, maybe the still most firepowered offense in the league, the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, um, with losing Hill and still not having good running back play, I guess I kind of downplayed Mahomes' talent there. I think a lot of us did. But, you know, Mahomes is going to do Mahomes things, obviously. Um, it doesn't matter who the wide receivers are, it looks like. So until that changes, they got to be in the top five. And normally, the Chiefs start out slow, but he started out slinging the rock like no other. Now, our number two team actually plays the Chiefs Thursday night in what should be an absolute shootout with the LA Chargers. Yeah, again, they look great. They deserve to move up. Um, yeah. AFC is just going to be wild. Especially in the West. Especially. Well, maybe not. Because the Broncos look like they're sure shot last place. Along, It looks like the Broncos and the Raiders are playing for last place. Yeah, the Raider defense is just not quite up to snuff with the rest of the division. I think the Broncos improved. That was kind of a... Um, Maybe the nerves got to the whole team because Russ looked good. He did Monday night, and the coach just regretted his decision. Yeah, we'll circle back to that after we finish power rankings. Uh, number one, unanimously, the Buffalo Bills. On both sides of the ball, they look like the best team in football. And again, they they weren't even at their best. No, yeah, their defense is to improve, and offensively, they're just going to keep getting better. I mean, Stephon Diggs only had eight catches. Uh, Gabe Davis had four. Isaiah McKenzie had two. So there's plenty of more catches to go around there. The only potential issue I see, Josh Allen takes a lot of unnecessary risks with his legs, takes a lot of hits, and injury is all it takes. But he's a big, strong, powerful guy. He's yet to be hurt in his career so far. When you're 6'5", 240, I think you can throw a step arm or two out of game. And he has, and he's proven that. But still, especially in the fourth quarter, there's certain risks you don't quite want to take. Uh, I agree. But uh, I think he's very strong, very confident. I think he trains his body to do that. So, barring some crazy, I don't know, illegal hit or crazy body contortion, I don't think that man's going to get hurt. Now, circling back, we should talk about the Monday night game. That was a big story leading up to this first week. Russ going home to Seattle, new team, 
Again, they were fifth in our power rankings. Seattle, I think, was bottom five. But Geno Smith came out of the gate slinging. Yeah, he, I, I don't even know who that was. There wasn't a time in the game where there was like three passes where I'm like, okay, that's Geno Smith. And then it was just, hey, this is actually Geno Smith. Using his legs, throwing dots. That guy, who is that? We all wrote him off, right? But he didn't write back. He did not write back. Yeah, Seattle, maybe like, maybe not as bad as we think. Maybe, I mean. Or are the Broncos worse than we think? I, I want to say it's the Broncos that are worse than we think. Um, I think they had a lot of chemistry issues. Uh, Jerry Judy looks good. Corlin Sutton looks good. Javante Williams looks good. Russell Wilson looks good. So maybe it's not chemistry issues. Maybe it's just coaching. Without red zone failures, they win that game handily. Yeah, you can't fumble twice on the goal line, especially when if you make Russell Wilson throw the ball on the goal line, he's probably going to have a PTSD attack. So it came down to the fourth, last possession. Broncos had three minutes, down one. Full timeouts, Russ under center. Just getting field goal range, right? You would think. Gets the ball downfield with a minute or 30 seconds left, somewhere around there with yes. two timeouts. Yeah, the final play was fourth and six from about midfield. Um, 30 seconds. I think they had all three timeouts left. And you don't trust your two hundred and. $45 million quarterback to get you five yards? No, instead, you kick a 64-yard field goal in Seattle, where that's never been done before. Uh, I think teams are 0-7 on 55-plus yarders since that stadium opened. And 64 yards is, I believe, like second longest in the league. If not for Justin Tucker, it would be an NFL record. So, of course, uh, Nathaniel Ratliff, coach of the Broncos, Post game was grilled about that decision. He stood by it initially. The next day, he kind of came around and decided, yeah, we probably should have gone for it there. Um, Russ, of course, took the high road, didn't really comment. Um, is that just showing a lack of faith in Russ or just a bonehead move by a head coach? It's got to be a bonehead move, right? Because again, Russ didn't play bad. No, he didn't. He, was, he had a good game. Arguably the best player on the field. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's just a bonehead move by the coach. I don't know. I don't think he was really put in situations like that before. Like last year, they were either just getting torched or they were close enough to kick like a 40-yarder. So maybe he's just new to that scenario. He was panicking. I don't know. He just got to relax, calm down, let Russell Wilson play football. Expectations were definitely high in Denver. Do you think Ratliff makes it through the year as head coach? I think so. I mean, how many coaches get fired because of one bad decision? Well, I guess my thought is, are there going to be more bad decisions? Well, we'll just have to wait and see. But for now, that knocked the Broncos out of the top five. Uh, probably out of the top ten. Uh, we're going to take our second break real quick, come back with some cigar notes, and go into Sleeper of the Week. Coming back after this All right, everybody, welcome back. Um, we are going to jump right into Sleeper of the Week. Before we get into last week's results and our new sleepers, we're going to go break down the rules. We finally sat down and really decided this is probably the best way to do this, to still keep it entertaining and uh, still get some fantasy points up. 
So for wide receivers, we are doing wide receiver rank 24 and under. QB is 12 and under. Running backs are 12 and under. And tight end is 5 and under. Um, we decided that this is the best way uh, to do this. Obviously, these guys are going to change every week. Also, we're cutting out defense. Yeah, we're, we are cutting out defense as well. There's not really a sleeper defense. So, we just kind of figured 24 and under, 12 and under, 12 and under, and 5 and under. Those are pretty reasonable, I think. Um, that should keep us to where we're getting guys that you're probably not going to start every week, especially because we're going off of live fantasy rankings every week. So, the difference of players will probably... It's going to be hard to repeat. And certain guys are going to fall in our standards that we're still not going to pick. Like Derrick Henry's running back like 27 right now. We're not going to take Derrick Henry for sleeper of the week. Right. So, Austin, I believe you have the point totals from last week. Last week's results, I put up a total of 89.76. This is based on standard ESPN scoring. Cam put up 98.6. He takes week one. Close battle. Um, that's without Alan Lazard even playing for you. And I'm going to make the case that A-Rob didn't play for me. Well, he wasn't the field for 97% of snaps. Yeah, I'll allow that case. Um, so you want to get into our new sleepers? Start a quarterback, of course. I think I'm locking in Derek Carr, who is quarterback like 17 right now, against the Cardinals defense, who is last in the league after getting torched by Mahomes. Um, the Raiders' defense didn't. I mean, Raiders' offense didn't look bad against the Chargers. They're going to look great against Arizona. Expect a big game from Carr. Try to limit the turnovers. Hopefully, the line improves. Um, Devontae is going to have 12 catches for 150. Hopefully, uh, Waller and Renfro get more involved. But expect a big game from Derek Carr. I think that's reasonable. My quarterback stays the same. I'm going Jared Goff again. I think he did exactly what I needed him to do, and he still falls in that rank. I think this is the last time I will take Jared Goff. Maybe we should make a rule about that. What do you think? Like only two or three times a year? Yeah. I like that. Okay. That works. Uh, new rule, live. You guys just heard it. We can only keep the same player twice a year, and I'm going to use both of my Jared Goffs right now. RB1. Who you got first? I got Michael Carter. Jets starting running back? Starting running back. Their offensive coordinator said he's the heartbeat of the offense. And I kind of predicted that he was going to get the share majority there. Uh, a lot of guys probably lost out on drafting Brees Hall in the sixth round. And that's their own fault. You should have been drafting Brees Hall for next year, especially if you're in a keeper league like that. Even though the Jets traded up to get him, Rookie running backs are hard to predict, especially when you know they're going to be in a committee like that. Maybe as the year progresses, he takes more of that RB1 role. But for now, I love that Carter pick. Yeah, he's going to be the volume guy there, um, at least for now. Who's your RB1? Uh, my RB1 is a guy I didn't expect to be RB1, Daryl Henderson in L.A. Cam Akers has all but disappeared. So that leaves Henderson to get the line share that carries. Um, the Rams have a good matchup in Atlanta, who is not a good defense. 
hopefully they try to establish the run to get that O-line, maybe some building some momentum. Um, so I think Henderson has a solid game. My RB2, a guy we've already mentioned, again, didn't expect him to be a potential RB1 type. I'm going Zach Moss in Buffalo. Yeah, I think that's great. He's going to be their receiving back. He is. He looked good, by all means. Uh, very athletic, good playmaker. All around, I love what I saw out of Zach Moss. Um, yeah, I love that pick. My RB2, Khalil Herbert for Chicago. That's sneaky, and I like it a lot. Some For some reason, David Montgomery fell off the face of the planet, kind of like Cam Akers. Uh, they called on Herbert in the red zone, and he answered. So, yeah, I think that's a for sure lock. So, who you got at wideout? Yeah, moving to wideout, again, a guy we did touch on earlier, Julio Jones. Career resurgence. Um, again, especially if Godwin doesn't play this week, Julio's your number two guy. Especially against the Saints defense, they always lock down Mike Evans. Who's Brady look for? Wide open Julio Jones. And who would have thought that? Wide um, open not me. Julio Jones. But nobody's happier right now than Tom Brady. He just exactly. keeps getting weapons. Uh, my wideout one is Tyler Boyd. Um, with Higgins coming back, potentially, I still think he'll be limited just to make sure he's fully ready for the rest of the year. So that locks Tyler Boyd into wideout two. And definitely a talented guy. He got called on Sunday and answered those calls. He was almost a thousand yard uh, guy last year, right? Yes, that is correct. They almost had 3,000 yard receivers in Cincinnati. My wideout two, I'm going to combo with Derek Carr. Didn't get a lot of targets last week, but I'm going Hunter Renfro. Slot guy, I think it's a bad defense. Um, I think Adams, Waller, and Renfro all have big games. But I'm baking on Hunter to get uh, seven catches out of the slot. He's great in the red zone. One of Carr's favorite targets, even with a new toy in Devontae. Um, Banking on a touchdown this week from Hunter Renfro. I think that's a solid, solid pick. Um, so you're banking on Derek Carr getting 600 yards and 15 touchdowns? That's maybe a bit steep, but I can see it happening. <laughs> uh, my wideout, too, is a fellow named Brandon Ayuk. I love this guy. Um, with Debo being involved in the run game, uh, I can see Debo lining up in the backfield. What happened to Debo saying he doesn't want to be a running back after that contract? I mean, r- rushing incentives, man. Everybody, money talks. And you do what your coach tells you to do, right? Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, I think uh, there will be opportunities for Ayuk to be lined up in the wideout one spot. Um, he's a, not a very deep ball guy. He's very much like Hunter Renfro and his good route running midfield to short game, and I think that's where Trey Lance is really going to thrive. So, yeah, I'm locking in Brandon Ayuk. Plus, I think they have Seattle this week, who's a very young secondary, especially now without Jamal Adams. Ayuk should definitely feast on that. Um, who you got in your flex spot? My flex spot, thrown in New York, but not the Jets. Not Garrett Wilson. I'm taking Sterling Shepard. Ooh, you're going sleeper sleeper. Oh, yeah, I'm going deep for this one. Uh, Sterling Shepard had a decent game. Um, that wideout room, who knows? Who's the number one guy there? None of them are proven number ones. They're all going to get their shot. I think next week Sterling Shepard's going to be called on. I'm also going sleeper in my flex spot. Deep sleeper. 
You ever heard of Noah Brown? I guess if you watched Sunday Night, maybe you did. He's been in the league like five years, but has really made no impact. But with Gallup still being out, CeeDee Lamb had, I think, 11 targets on Sunday night, only two catches. And now with Cooper Rush in, he's going to throw a lot of shorter passes. So look for Schultz and Noah Brown to have a big game, at least target-wise. I can't promise Cooper Rush is going to hit him, but he's going to get looks. And from everything I've heard, Cooper Rush and uh, Noah Brown in preseason and training camp, that that all they did was build chemistry. You're looking for a Stafford and Cup connection in Dallas. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't get that far. Who do you got a tight end? Uh, tight end, we're going to Washington. I'm going to Logan Thomas. Uh, had a solid game on Sunday, although went spread the ball around a whole lot. Um, he's got a good matchup, and he's quiet enough. Tight end is such a weird crapshoot. Outside of the top four or five guys, there's really not a whole lot of great options. So we're going to roll the dice on Logan Thomas this week. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, everything you said I agree with. My t- sleeper tight end, Aiden Hurst. Talk about a guy who looked like he's still in his prime. And a guy that got rode off, but by all means, maybe he didn't ride back. Um, yeah, he looked super athletic, super good. Looked like Joe Burrow's going to call on quite a bit this year. So I'm going to grab him while I can, Aiden Hurst. I mean, when Burrow throws the ball 50 times a game, those targets can't all go to Jamar Chase. So I love the Boyd-Hurst combo you got working this week. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if you see 10 receptions from both of them. Not combined. Um, in your actual fantasy leagues, how do you fare this week? Uh, two and four overall. Um, two CBS leagues, I took wins. Uh, shout out to Lamar Jackson, Stephon Diggs, and Cooper Cup for one of those. Uh, definitely carried me to a victory there. I don't think I had anyone else over 10 points. So that was a big win there. Um, kind of just had a lackluster week for everybody's week one. Derrick Henry was lackluster. CMC wasn't CMC. Um, yeah, I think I think there's definitely wins to come, though, in those fantasy leagues. I'm pretty confident with my teams. Yeah, I went 2-2. Two and two. I did beat you in our ESPN league together, which I think were the top two teams in. I expect to see you again in the championship. And then this week, in our couple CBS leagues, I play you in both. I'm sorry that you have to start out with losses there. Did you lose last week? Um, I think I split in those two. Well, in one of those you're going to be 0-2, and the other one you're going to be 1-1. Um, that's not a little friendly wager? Uh, I think uh, the $70 entry fee is friendly enough. Yeah, we'll roll with that. Uh, I want to touch on these cigar notes real quick. We kind of forgot about that coming back into the break. Yeah, I think we should. And then uh, I think we just jump right into other news after that. What kind of notes are you getting, Austin? So I'm about halfway through. Um, very subtle. I'm getting some creamy sweetness, a hint of that peppery spice, which is nice in the back of the throat. Um, burning great. Draws great. I've got no complaints here. Sounds like a solid stick. Um, I'm getting like a nutty flavor. It's kind of surprising after the heavy pepper I was getting in the first note. Um, getting some like dry, sweet cocoa still. Uh, pepper's lingering, not too heavy. Uh, draws good, burns great, ashes great. Um, by all means, yeah, no, no hateful comments here. Uh, really enjoying it. 
Um, with that being said, where do you want to start? UFC? I think we start college football. Because on the way here, you got some huge news that just broke. Of course, this is Wednesday night as of recording. Um, what do you got for me? Um, the transport portal seems to be shut down. That's huge news for the entire football landscape. Yeah, everyone that was in the transfer portal had to be removed, too. So, I don't know if they're trying to restructure it or they just didn't like what they saw. But, yeah, colleges were advised by the board to shut that down. And this came totally out of the blue. I heard no rumblings about this. Shocking news. Uh, from what I read, the guys in the portal, there's only 19 in Division One, nine of which have already... Um, um, dropped out of that. So we'll see what comes from there, especially moving forward. That's going to affect a lot of teams because in today's landscape, especially with like grad transfers, oh yeah, that's a huge deal. Yeah, imagine if they did that last year. Quinn Ewers wouldn't be in Texas. He'd be riding the bench in Columbus. Yeah, I, I think the transfer, transfer portal is great for instances like that. If the transfer portal wasn't there, Joe Burrow never goes to LSU. Now, the flip side to that, I think what they're trying to accomplish is if there's a tight battle in preseason and spring football, um, if maybe the second-place guy knows he's not going to win, he's apt to transfer and leave his team short. I think that's what they want to shut down. But to counteract that, maybe coaches are going to act like those battles are closer than they are just to keep that guy on the team. Yeah, I don't know. Definitely... Crazy news. Um, transfer portal's been around for as long as I've been watching sports. So for until all of a sudden, maybe it has something to do with NIL deals. Yeah, so from what I read again, the off-season portal will open up again on December 5th. But the mid-season, pre-season portal is a huge thing. So we'll see how that affects teams going forward. But overall, a crazy week one or week two, I guess, in college football. Um Bama escaped Texas with a one-point win, where if Quinn Ewers didn't get hurt, Texas wins that game. Oh, I agree. Um, coming into the season, Quinn Ewers was a top five for Heisman pick, which never playing a game of college football, to have that on your shoulder. And then, to prove that you deserve that on your shoulder, that dude is going to be fun to watch when he's healthy. So Alabama did drop down to number two in the AP poll which is kind of weird for a number one team to win and still drop. Um, but Georgia goes to one. Texas, deservedly so, comes into the rankings, I think, at 23. Uh, but we had three total top ten teams go down. Um, number six, A&M, lost to Appalachian State. And they are just rolling. They're just about ranked. They got 80 votes this week. Um, Gabe Day's actually going there this weekend. On that's, campus. That's big time. Unfortunately, the game's not going to be on ESPN. It's an ESPN Plus game, so not many people that can you know, be able to watch it. But App State's making a serious push to be a Division One legitimate contender. You know? Yeah, they, by all means, look great. And who were they before this year? You know, like They just kind of sprung up out of nowhere, kind of like Cincinnati did. Um, also, number nine, Baylor. Went to BYU and lost. The Storm and Mormons go up to number 12. But the biggest one of all, number 8, Notre Dame, hosting Marshall. And they go down. Yeah, 
Um, that's very unfortunate. Uh, what I said about Notre Dame being a top eight team in the country, I redact that. Um, Sorry, I, I didn't catch that. I redact that. You're saying maybe you were mistaken? I'm saying that I was 100% wrong. Wow, I'm going to savor that moment because that does not come often. And it probably never will again. But for now, yeah, that's... Yeah, I, I don't even have words. Very disappointing. So, if anything, maybe the Buckeyes week one should have won by a little bit more than 11 points. I think that hurts the Buckeyes that we lost. It's not going to matter. If the Buckeyes went out like they should, no one's going to even remember week one. There's a reason the Buckeyes stayed stagnant. I mean, they still stayed at number three. Yeah, but who? why did Alabama not drop under? I'm surprised Alabama dropped at all. Again, a number one team winning and dropping is kind of rare. By one point to an unranked team, though. Yeah, but it's still Texas. It's still a great environment. I don't think you can fault that. And they're, gonna, they're still Alabama. They're going to be fine. Um, Buckeyes did look a lot better week two, albeit against much worse competition. Maybe. Same thing this week. Um, we got Toledo. Hopefully the line improves. They keep running the ball. Defense looks solid, which I'm very happy about. Um, but yeah, come to the end of the year, the fact that even if Notre Dame goes 0-12, it's not going to have any effect on us whatsoever. You say that, but we all know the committee hates the Buckeyes. The committee loves us. We make them so much money. Every Power 5 team makes them money. Alabama probably makes them the most money. Uh, I guarantee you Ohio State is right there, if not above them. Maybe that's a conversation when we have some numbers to back that up. Well, once Ohio State goes 12-0, it's not going to matter anyway. Yep, and, and they lose in the playoffs. Tell you what, though, I would year. love, because number four right now is, of course, that big blue school up north. I would love an end-of-the-year undefeated one-versus-two matchup. Yeah, unfortunately, you'll probably get that, and I don't think that's going to go the way you think. Yeah, we'll see about that, especially being in Columbus. Um, now, we got to talk UFC. 279 was a crazy card, especially building up to it. It got completely rearranged. What happened at the press conferences prior to the event? Um, Kevin Holland and Hamza were just going at it, I guess. Um, by all accounts, I think the UFC knew that uh, he was going to miss weight. Um, Him, meaning Kamsat Shemaya, missing weight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his coach and medical staff told him that it would be unhealthy to continue cutting so that same night, they had him go put on some weight. So that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he should have been able to fight. Because um, now, what if another guy does that? And he doesn't get the same treatment. Yeah, it sets a dangerous precedent, especially because, like you said, Shemaev is Dana's golden boy. He's on a meteoric rise. And he, I mean, he backed it up. But is he going to get special privileges where you can come in, into an event and he can choose to fight at 170 or 185, depending on how he feels the night before? I don't know. Um, by all means, though, it did make the card a lot better. Totally agree. Prior to that, I had no interest. I knew Chemaya was going to roll Nate Diaz. Hate to say it, but Chemaya was just so much better. Uh, but instead, we got Chemaya and Holland and a Legends fight between Diaz and Tony Ferguson. Which has been long in the making. Yeah, I can't believe it took that long. You know, 
for it being Diaz's going away fight, I couldn't think of a better fight for him to end on. Like I said, it ended up a lot better that way. I was upset when the Chimaev-Diaz matchup was announced because I know Nate has had not a great relationship with the UFC and with Dana, but to feed Nate to Chimaev in his last fight is kind of a slap in the face. The guy's a legend of the sport. To put him out there to get ragdolled, which he would have gotten ragdolled, is just disrespectful. It's hard to say that he would get ragdolled. I know his wrestling business the best, but I think his wrestling's better than we're thinking. Yeah, but Chimaev is even better than we're thinking. And it's still Nate Diaz. That dude is a tank. and he, His gas tank is, as far as I'm concerned, never-ending. Probably the best ever. The dude just won't stop. Yeah, it doesn't matter if he can't even see. But now, hopefully, his contract with the UFC is up. Now he can go box Connor and make a boatload of money. Hope the best for Nate. He did win. Um, he choked out Tony Ferguson in a pretty entertaining fight. And a beautiful choke. Classic Nate Diaz. I mean, you get a double leg shot on you and your first move is straight into a headlock. Yeah, he looked gassed in the, really throughout the whole fight. He kept doing the typical Nate Diaz, like, turn away, walk away, put your hands on the fence. It was entertaining. It was really weird, which I guess you'd expect from a Nate Diaz and Tony Ferguson fight. Two very strange stylistic fighters. Uh, there was one time in the fight where Tony Ferguson just went at him backwards yeah, typical weird Tony stuff. Yeah, it was definitely entertaining, though. Uh, at this point now, though, with Nate gone, I think Tony should walk away, too. He's a shade of what he used to be. I don't want to see him keep getting beat up. I think he's on, like, four or five fight losing streak. And they've all been ugly. Yeah, unfortunately, he's tarnishing what he was because he was a great fighter. Yeah, but I think we're more accepting of that in the UFC. We know guys, past their prime, they fall off pretty quick. Yeah, that's true. So legacy-wise, it's not going to hurt him. Especially with the young talent and just straight assassins that are in the in the UFC these days. So in the co-main, Chimaev ended up fighting Kevin Holland. And off the bat, you know tensions were high with the backstage brawl prior to the conference. Um, they didn't touch gloves, as expected. Attempted. Yeah, sort of. It looked like it. But then when the fight started, Holland went to touch gloves, and Chimaev shot right away. Yeah. And they sprawled for like two minutes. Holland's defense actually was pretty solid. Yeah. And Shemayev just mauls. Yeah, he played he played the ground game way better than I thought, especially on a one-night notice. I'm surprised that it lasted two minutes. Yeah, he did get choked out, but he put up a great showing. I don't think it hurts his stock at all. No, 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 no. Uh, what about the other fight on that card? Yeah, the biggest slap in the face, man. So, Lee Jingling fought Danny Rodriguez. So Lee took the fight, again, on a day's notice because of the rearrangement of the card. Rodriguez had 10 pounds on him because of the catchweight bout. Um, Lee came out, looked great in the first two rounds, looked good in the third. Pretty much unanimously, everybody agrees Lee won that fight 2-1, to one, except the judges. Yeah, uh, I believe everyone was shocked when Danny Rodriguez got his hand raised. Um, including Danny Rodriguez. Yeah. Uh, by all accounts, Danny Rodriguez said he would absolutely love to rematch him to prove that he did win that fight, and I really respect that move. Um, I think that's one of the most honorable things you can do is to try and get that fight again to show that you actually are that guy. But it didn't look like that guy. In my opinion, I thought 
Jing Wang just slaughtered him. And you can make a case he won all three rounds. But he got he lost his, his victory bonus, which he would have had. He got no extra pay for taking that fight at a catch weight bout on a day's notice. And then to top it off, this morning, Rodriguez knocks him out with the welterweight rankings. Which I think is just and maybe the rankings mean nothing at, at the end of the day. But just the the image of it is not a good look. It's not a good look, but I think it's really easy to fluctuate through the rankings in UFC if you're outside of the top five. So Dana allegedly promised him a future co-main or main event. Hope he gets that. He's a great fighter. And again, definitely won on Saturday. But that's the UFC for you. Nothing against Danny Rodriguez either. No, same thing. Especially taking the high road after the fight and saying he'll fight him again. I really, really respect that. Because don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's not a skilled fighter. He is. He's a very good fighter. Two very good fighters. Honestly, my favorite match of the night. Yeah, overall, skill-wise and matchup-wise, for sure. I would agree. Like, entertaining-wise, yeah. Just because of the weird stuff that Ferguson and Diaz do, obviously that's more entertaining. But technically. But technically, the Rodriguez-Jingling fight was just awesome. Um, with that, uh, do you want to jump into the MLB? Yeah, you know, I love to talk baseball, even though it's kind of a solo segment. A couple quick things to touch on. Um, first of all, I think the MVP debate in the AL is worth having. Because by all accounts, Judge has it locked up, but I think you're more on the side of, and you're not alone, show me Otani. I love Otani. Um, it's not often, it's very rare that you see a guy that can be a shutout pitcher in that same game hit three home runs. To say it's very rare is even not doing it justice. Nobody does this. Yeah. You're witnessing history here. Yeah, from both players. Uh, Judge is having a historically great offensive season with sound defense. But I think, to me, obviously Otani brings more to the field. So, And not only can Otani run the mound for an entire game and hit well, but if you need to, you can throw him in the outfield. And it's not, he doesn't lack there either. He's a solid defender. Yeah, he, he is, to me, in my opinion, and this is a very amateur opinion, obviously, this is my first year really following baseball, but as far as all-around players, Shohei Otani's probably the best in the league. I think Otani's in the place where Jordan was, and probably where LeBron was too, where he should win MVP every year. But Judge is having the kind of year you have to have to beat Otani. He's hitting 310. Right now, he has 57 bombs. He's probably going to hit two more tomorrow by the time this recording comes out. 123 ribbies, an 11.05 OPS, which is just unheard of. And like you said, he moved over to center this year, and he's still playing great defense. Yeah, uh, and I believe Judge has quite a few stolen bases. Yeah, he's like the third guy ever to have 50 bombs and 15 steals, joining Griffey Jr. and a guy you may have heard of called Babe Ruth. Yeah, by all means, he is having a historic season. Like I said, one of the greatest offensive seasons of all time. And most importantly, even today, the Yankees are definitely going to the playoffs, probably the one seed. The Angels are nowhere near that. And voters do still factor that in. Yeah, I really think that's the determining factor here. I think it would be a lot closer of a battle if the Angels were in line for the playoffs. So Judge with 57 bombs. Second place, Mike Trout has 35. 
Yeah, significant. The gap there is insane. And, yeah, that's Mike Trout. Third place, Shohei Otani, 34. He's hitting 265, 88 ribbies, and 890 OPS. Oh, but that's not all. He's 12-8 and eight on the mound, a 255 ERA, 12.0 K per nine, which leads the league. The guy's a top five pitcher and a top ten hitter in the game. Absurd. You can't even put a number on that value. No. And it sucks to see him wasted and to see Trout wasted in that L.A. system. They've been, they, just, they just secured their seventh straight losing season, which is the longest streak in baseball. Yeah, and there's been a lot of rumors going around about them shopping Shohei and Trout this offseason. I kind of hope they do. I want to see those guys get some national play in the playoffs. I agree, yeah. Um, wasted talent. You see it in every sport. But, man, not like that. Um, another baseball news, the NL MVP race is pretty much locked up. Paul Goldschmidt, don't think he's going to get the Triple Crown. Um, he's kind of falling off on the power numbers. But second place, his own teammate, Nolan Arenado, the best corner duo in baseball um, in St. Louis. There's a hot race in the NL East. The Braves are on fire. And I think we kind of wrote them off, but they're last year's defending champs. Yeah, they I mean, they started out slow. They've kind of been under the radar the whole season. But, yeah, last year's champs, they're looking good. They have the top two Rookie of the Year candidates in Spencer Strider and uh, Vaughn Grissom. Austin Riley's, I think, leads the league in homers with 37 or 38. Great young core, and their great young core takes team-friendly deals. And the Braves lock them up early. Oh, yeah. They're arguably the best-run organization in baseball right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, the only thing that people don't like that they did was this offseason when they got rid of... Freddie Freeman? Yeah. Yeah, fan favorite. They didn't pay him, but they brought in Matt Olson, who's been a great fill-in at first base. Basically a younger Freddie Freeman. Uh, you can make that case for sure. I mean, defensively, just as good, probably better. Offensively, it's for a lower average, but the power's there. Um, so the Braves, I think they're tied with the Mets right now in a three-game series. Do you want to go up against Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom, and um, uh, third guy's escaping my name right now. Let me check that out. Um, just those two? They only need to win two games in a three-game series. Tyler Walker, shouldn't think of that. Yep, there you go. Um, yeah, no, you don't. But if I pick the team to do it, it's going to be the Atlanta Braves. And then, since my Reds are just terrible, I lost interest probably two months ago, I picked up a new team. Is that a fact? My AL team. A.K.A. the Reds Part 2. The Reds Part 1. The Reds The Reds are Reds Part uh, 2. Pretty much, yeah. The Seattle Mariners have Jesse Winker, Eugenio Suarez, and now Luis Castillo, all former Reds, all former Cincinnati fan favorites. And the Mariners are on fire. They got a wild card spot, all but locked up. Here's a fun fact for you. Who do you think leads all of baseball and home runs since 2018? Don't tell me it's the Mariners. Well, I mean, as a player. Uh, You'd probably say Aaron Judge, right? One would say, or Mike Trout, right? Neither. It's Eugenio Suarez. I think he's probably tied with Judge right now. I think Judge hit one last night that tied him up. Uh, but, again, completely out of left field for Gino. To be the premier slugger that nobody knows about. Yeah, very under the radar. Um, 
they're having a lot of that this year, especially in the rookie department, where they have now the third rookie in MLB history to hit 25 bombs and have 25-plus steals. Yeah, Julio Rodriguez is a sensation. He put up, like, 80 homers in the Derby this year. Got his name out there. He's definitely rookie of the year. And I believe he's locked in for 13 years. Oh, he got a crazy deal. Personally, he's younger than us. It's like 13, 300 plus million or something like With that. With a ton of incentives. I think the base is like 250. But incentives can go up to like 400 million. Yeah, I don't know. That's absolutely crazy, especially for a rookie. Especially when they supposedly traded all their top prospects to the Reds, which will probably end up back in Seattle. Yeah, none of those guys are going to make a difference in our big league squad. But it's good to see our guys succeed out there. Castillo's been great for them so far. He threw six shutouts today with nine Ks against the Padres. Um, so look for them in the postseason. Super fun team. They're selling out games in Seattle in football season, especially. That's a big deal. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, most importantly, baseball-wise, we got some big rule changes announced for next year. Going to make the game a lot more exciting. I think initially, people are going to say, why are you messing with the game? Don't make changes like this. But I'm completely all for these. And I think you as a new fan are going to notice it even more. I think the most significant change, and I think everyone agrees on this, is definitely the shift restrictions. Um... The rule I read, uh, as far as second base back goes, you have to have an infielder on each side and in the dirt. Yeah, it's huge. So there's going to be a lot of gap shots. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of guys hitting over 300 again. Um, so, yeah, I think definitely a good move for the sport. I think it's just going to have to get past the old ends. Yeah, this should increase action. No more just homers, walk strikeouts. Um, we should see more hits, more stolen bases, more things actually going on. And adding that to the new pitch clock, which I think is the single biggest change baseball has been needing to make, and I'm glad they finally went ahead and did that. Yeah, 15 seconds with no runners on, 20 seconds with runners on, you're going to see a lot more fastballs. See, that's going to help guys getting hits. Um, and not only do they know you have to throw a pitch, but... They can also just gap you. It's just that easy now. So they've had the pitch clock in the minors for a few years now. Uh, The numbers show games are being cut down by 20, 30, 40 minutes every game. That's substantial. Because especially with the younger audience, even me, sometimes it's tough to watch a game on TV. Definitely hard to watch on TV. um, Unless you have stellar announcers, um, definitely rough to watch on TV. You'll get a guy come out of the bullpen and have 45 seconds between pitches. No more of that. you got 15 seconds. Yeah, that's it. Pace of play is going to improve dramatically. It's going to make a much more watchable game and hopefully bring in a younger audience, which baseball desperately needs. I think we've got one big NBA thing to touch on. Uh, I got two. But um, the biggest, most significant thing is... The proposal of an in-season tournament. Um, they got cup games that go through November. And after that, eight teams will advance to a single elimination tournament. And the other 22 teams will continue with their regular season. All of these will be a part of the 82-game season. 
And the two finals teams will get an extra game, giving them an 83-game season. I think this will help basketball because you'll see a lot less guys resting before All-Star break. Now, that was my question. Is there incentive for players and coaches to treat these games any differently than a regular season game? I don't have all the details, but by all means, I mean, do you want to be the team that lost the tournament? I don't know. I just don't know if it matters enough. It could. When the, when the full details are released right now, that's just the structure. I'm sure they'll add some stuff, maybe a trophy. Maybe it'll deter- help determine the awards. Um, I just think having something like that will really prevent guys from sitting out for a week just because they know, like, I don't even have to play basketball until after the All-Star break. Nobody's making a run for the playoffs. Um, You see a lot of stars sitting before the All-Star break for rest. And it's kind of getting old. Um, I want to see superstars play basketball. If they're a superstar, show me why you're a superstar. Yeah, I hate to tune into, like, a nationally televised game between two giant teams and see four stars sitting out. Yeah, that's, that's no fun. So hopefully, I love the idea of this tournament. Hopefully that incentivizes guys to play more, at least during this stretch, to see some real consistent, you know, postseason atmosphere type basketball halfway through the season. Yeah, uh, I think that's another thing it adds is a lot of intensity to the games. Like, this is a tournament. We are playing to win. We lose. We're no longer in the tournament. This is a single elimination. It's not games of seven. You lose, you're out. So I think, if anything, there's a lot of really competitive guys in the NBA, and they love bragging rights. Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic, the first midseason tournament <laughs> winner. You heard it here first. <laughs> Definitely a strong chance. Um, the other thing is the Suns owner getting suspended for the year and fined $10 million. Um, that's getting a lot of backlash from the players because they think he should be out, period. So how does an owner get suspended, per se? Yeah, I don't know what that means. Like, can he not be at the games? That's what I'm Can thinking. he have no influence in decisions? I mean, how does that work? That's something like that, probably, but they're saying with how the investigation proved that the allegations were true, and that is racial slurs being used, lots of sexual harassment and stuff. And there are a lot of players, including Suns players, that are really speaking out against him and saying that the NBA dropped the ball and their punishment does not suffice. I mean, in any other workplace, you're fired. Oh, that's unacceptable. Yeah. So curious to see if they reevaluate their decision there. Does this maybe go back to the whole um, the Stern, I think, was the previous Clippers owner, where he was forced to sell the team because of similar kind of allegations? Yeah, uh, I could definitely see that. Um, I know that's not exactly sports news, and that's not what you guys are here for, but definitely just a wild thing that happens sometimes, and it shouldn't. And they should really figure out a way to you only get one strike here. You don't deserve more than one strike, in my opinion. When you're going to that, you're stooping that low, you're really showing who you are as a person. 
Nobody wants that as their leader. No, not as head of the organization, especially. No, I mean, even just players. Imagine if it was LeBron, or if Jordan did it, or any of these guys that are the face of their team. If they came out and said anything like that, or remotely close, they would immediately be suspended indefinitely. So, yeah, I just, I don't really know what the NBA was thinking with a minor punishment. What's $10 million to a guy that owns a billion-dollar franchise? It's like dropping a penny. So, yeah, that's just my uh, opinion and many others as well. Yeah, we'll see what things change there. Maybe the league reacts to the public and player backlash and maybe change their mind. But we're going to end up here on a much more fun note with a new segment we're going to call Bums of the Week. Bums of the Week. New segment coming at you. Uh, it's kind of self-explanatory, but go ahead and lay it out for us. So, we are going to take stars into consideration, people that should be the top performers every week, and we are going to basically pick on them when they have a bad week or a bad game. Um, this is going to cover all sports. Obviously, right now, NFL is really the major one. So that's going to play a factor in our first couple bumps of the week. But when NBA gets rolling and you got guys like Paul George that have a bad game, we're going to point it out because we're a little bit of uh, on the asshole spree on this segment here. But I think it'd be fun. Uh, it'll help you guys get interactive with us because we're going to put polls out of our four choices for bums of the week. And there's going to be a poll on Instagram at Sports and Stogies, and you vote on that poll, and whoever is the highest voted bum of the week, that will be announced on the next episode before we put our new four out there. So, yeah, a good way for us to interact with you guys, get your opinions in here, and um, just a little bit of fun. People love to hate. What's more fun than picking on a guy that should perform that maybe didn't quite meet expectations? Exactly. So who's your first bum of the week? Unfortunately, this is a guy I love. I got Derrick Henry. And I know, I'm telling you, he's one of the best running backs in the league. Best pure running back in the league. That still stands. But 21 carries for 82 yards is absolutely unacceptable. Against the Giants defense? And you didn't see the end zone once? Come on. you got to do better than that. He didn't have his breakaway run. His average was 3.9 yards per carry which is low NFL standards these days. Um, rough game for whatever reason. He was involved in the offense. Um, but yeah, 21 carries for 82 yards, that's just not going to cut it. Derrick Henry, you're my first bum of the week. Now my first pick is actually five guys. Well, not the restaurant. <laughs> I'm taking the entire Rams offensive line. Completely drop the ball. Stafford was pressured all night, and I think they were the single deciding factor in the Rams, not just losing, but getting blown out. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the Bills didn't blitz, that means five guys couldn't stop a four- or three-man rush at all the entire game. Sounds like bum-of-the-week material to me. Exactly. Uh, who's your second guy? Um, we're going to try to mix it up. We're going baseball. Whoa. We're going to Juan Soto. After the big... After the big move. A guy the Padres traded for in hopes of him continuing to play like an MVP caliber player. 
Um, this is kind of more like maybe bumming him up because in his 33 games in San Diego, he's hit three homers and hit for a 212 average. Wow. And that's a guy who's supposed to be a top five hitter in the game. I don't think 212 is top five, and that's just with my limited knowledge. I don't think three bombs in 33 games is top five material. Uh, Juan Soto, bum of the week, bum of the month. I like that. Uh, My second bum of the week is also going to the Los Angeles Rams. And it's a guy that got absolutely torched. And maybe, maybe publicly saying this, he might even combat us on Twitter or something. But Jalen Ramsey, you are my bum of the week. Jalen, that's at Sports and Stokes <laughs> on Twitter. Feel free to uh, tell us why you're not. But getting torched by Stephon Diggs, like I said, could be just the best wide out in the league. But you're a guy that has that chip on his shoulder about being the best corner in the league. Being the best means you should be able to shut down the best. Not just shut down. It wasn't even a 50-50 battle. No, it wasn't even close. He got torched all night. Yeah, torched, 100%. And, I mean, even if he didn't guard Stephon Diggs 100% of the time, I bet you he was on Gabe Davis when he got his long touchdown. And maybe you guys go out and tweet, hashtag bum of the week at Stephon Diggs. I mean, uh, at Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe we will. Who knows? Oh, we definitely will. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, Feel free to vote on that. We're going to get a little graphic together to have pictures of the players and stuff. And there will be a poll on Instagram. Uh, it will really help us out if you guys do that. And let us know if you have any other suggestions for Bum of the Week. Drop yours in the comments on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere. Yeah, feel free. Let us know who you think your Bumps of the Week are. We'll address that next, next week. Um, but, yeah, I think that will just be a little fun segment. Because just like Sleeper of the Week, it's just a fun, like, you don't expect it. Everybody talks about the best guys. Nobody really talks about the worst guys unless they're just pure haters. By no means do I hate Derrick Henry, Juan Soto, the Rams O-line, or Jalen Ramsey. But I think it's just fun to pick on people when they have bad games. You know what? We're included. If we have some bad takes, we make some bad predictions, maybe we're bum of the week. (laughs) Put us out there. Maybe we'll be on the graphic. Now, as always, uh, keep your feedback coming in. You guys did so great week one. We're super appreciative, super thankful. Um, keep on sending those emails in, dropping comments, anything you guys want us to cover. Um, let us know. And I think that's going to wrap up episode two. Yeah. And any, uh, any final notes, any signups? Just keep reaching out on social media. Feel free to be as interactive as possible on there. Uh, our DMs are open. Uh, We're going to try and be more active on social media, as I know. We're just starting out, so we're just getting the hang of this stuff. But we're going to try and post daily on everything. Um, Yeah, just feel free to reach out. Give us suggestions. Um, We did get one suggestion for the punishment of Sleeper of the Week. Oh, I forgot about that. Uh, So did I until just now. But the suggested, suggested punishment so far is loser gets tased. I will, uh, I'll co-sign on that. I would love to tase you. So far, I like the fact that I'll be able to tase you. But, again, we don't really want to lock in the punishment until at least halfway through the season. So, please reach out with your suggestions for punishments there. Um, again, just thank you guys so much. You guys are awesome. Another shout-out. Dicking with Doug. Um, pop culture news. Guy's funny. Super entertaining. 
I listen to it every week. I'm excited when I see an episode came out, especially now that he reformatted. He knows his stuff, and he's just a funny guy. And that's D-I-C-K-I-N apostrophe, Dick and McDoug. Yep, on every platform, Spotify, whatever you listen to, he's on there. And he was a big help to us getting started again. Can't thank him enough. And, yeah, that's all we got for you guys. Uh, Can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Thursday, noon. See ya.